You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining me as always from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, this is sort of like the calm before the storm episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. Yeah, it's going to get stormy next week. Because next week we we got a double, a double shot. And actually, next week will be an all-championship edition of the Co-Main Event Podcast because we'll be talking about not only the two UFC title fights on the uh, up there at UFC 220, but we'll also be talking about uh, McDonald versus Lima, the Bellator welterweight title fight. That's welterweight, right? Or are we doing middleweight for that? What's, Welter, welterweight. It's the welterweight title. Uh, but then also on, on that one, uh, we'll talk a little bit about it this weekend, but they got the start of that whole strike force, uh, or I say strike force. Because that's what I'm thinking about here. The Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix. Uh, there's going to be a lot going on next week, which I think, though, gives people a false sense of security that you can just maybe you can skip this week. No, you wouldn't want to do that because we are going to get into a little bit of Bellator Heavyweight Title Tournament talk at the end of this episode. That's right. And just going to kind of kind of prime our engines for next week. Well, you don't want to go into next week cold. You want to be no. a little bit warmed up. No. You don't want to. The last thing you want is to pop a hammy. That's right. And it could just so easily happen at our age. Because once you do that, that takes, you're, you're out four to six weeks with that. Yeah. Hamstring, you might think it's healed up. Then you go out and you try to, try to get a little, uh, skate in. I'm trying to make this applicable to, Thank to you. you and your audience. Appreciate that. Next thing you know, you, you blow it out even worse. Since you asked, uh, you know what the start time is when we play, uh, Kettle House Brewery tonight? Is that tonight? Do they bring the beer? Does, is Kettle House going to, uh, Provide the libations for this? They thing? do not. They do not do that. And I make sure to drink like the shittiest mass produced beer I can oh. after every game <laughs> against a local microbrewery. Right in their face. That's right. Eleven thirty start time on that. I was I was gonna guess eleven. So I guess we'll see you out there. No, but I, I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna make it tonight. That's disappointing. My uh, my season tickets, my box. I can get gonna, you in. Gonna be unfilled. I'll get today. you in. Don't worry about it. We got music this week from our friend Dion Rodriguez, a music producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear, uh, you can check out more from him at soundcloud.com slash dbeats7. And again, you guys know this by now, but that's the word beats with a Z. Beats. As always, if you enjoy the Co-Main Event Podcast, you can do us a serious solid by rating, reviewing, or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever platform you listen to the show on. That stuff really helps our ranking and our rating. So lend us a hand if you got a few minutes and write us a review. Ben, I know you've had a secret project that you've been working on for a while, which, not to pull back the curtain too much here, but I was not consulted. You were, con you were absolutely consulted. Well, midway through, when you needed to know a login, you wanted to know a password for one of our various uh, co-main event podcast accounts. Well, this is a misrepresentation right off the bat. It's just not a great start. But, you know, you've noticed, I'm sure I've noticed every once in a while, people are just like, hey, co-main event podcast, how can I just give you money to support you? It happens uh, a surprising amount. Yeah, I would Surprisingly expect it to happen often. zero times. I would expect the opposite to happen. Yeah, and especially after we put out a... a Christmas special. People said, hey, how, how do we support good stuff like this? That's people, they just want to support the arts. That's right. That's what that is. And these are important times to support the arts. Well, good news for those people because the co-main event podcast has started a Patreon. So now you can just give us money. You can help us 
make this podcast work. Because as we pointed out many times, although this sometimes feels like a job, it does not pay at, at all, really, like a job. Um, and so, yeah, we appreciate those people who say they want to uh, support the Co-Main Event podcast, especially since, you know, we put out a damn newsletter and uh, have hosting costs and equipment costs. And, you know, I can't even we're going to see if we can get a microwave in here. We appreciate that. We would appreciate that support. And now you can support us via Patreon. Uh, what's the link? Where do people go? Can they find this at comainevent.com or they, do they have to go someplace else? Well, I'm sure we can put up a link on comainevent.com or uh, you can find it through Patreon. We can, we'll get the, the information and stuff out there, how people can go and, and find it. You can even see our page. Look at this. Look oh, at there this it right is. Here. Oh, yeah. yeah. First time I've seen this. That's yeah. nice. It uh, looks professionally done. Yeah. And just oh. I feel like that one really there's, – there's one that really captures us on here. Uh, yeah, that's – Wait, are you Rampage or Michael Bisping? I, I well, Michael Bisping seems drunker in this photograph, so I feel like that's me. And Rampage seems like he's not even sure how he got there, so that feels like you. Okay, yeah, I think that's that's accurate. People can go. Do they get anything for this? Is or are they just out of the goodness of their hearts? Do they get anything? I should say above and beyond five goddamn years of weekly podcasts. Well, see, one thing you can do if you support us on Patreon is you can, uh, if you want us to give a shout out to your local business or your musical projects or whatever kind of stuff you do for fun or work or, or hobbies or whatever, we will do that for you. Uh, even if you just want to get your harebrained ideas out there, God damn it, we will help you as long as there's money in it. So you're selling airtime on the show. Pretty much. Okay. I'm learning about this At as much discretion. as the listener Yeah. right now. Hey, we're all learning. Patreon. Patreon? Patreon? I think basically it's like a has it sounds like pay, but it's also like a like a a patron. Patreon. Yeah. Like a patron of the arts. All right. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. And round number one is Conor McGregor at risk of crossing a line between being an active fighter and then just being like a social media celebrity who tweets about tracksuits and whiskey. And in round number two, Jeff Nowitzki can't stop saying he thinks John Jones probably didn't mean to cheat. Does that seem like a great idea? And in round number three, Rampage Jackson and Chael Sonnen are having a lot of fun leading up to the Bellator Heavyweight title tournament. Question is, will we have any fun watching them? All that plus, are you fucking kidding me? Just saying stuff. Plus, Sir Nigel Longstock is going to stop by to play a little Master Tweet Theater. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Rusty in Atlanta, and he writes, Howdy, fellers, which is uh, colloquialism Yeah, from down there in the South. That's how they do it. He writes, I'm looking forward to this upcoming fight on FS1. Put down your pitchforks and hear me out. It's clear, or it's become somewhat of a tradition over the past few years, that the UFC puts an FS1 card on a Sunday night following the uh, blank championship game. And then he says, choose NFC, AFC, or C, you can't see me. Yeah, I don't really watch football. The cards have always been good, sol- have always had good solid names. And we even had a bantamweight championship match on it in 2016. This weekend's installment seems to have be more of the same, uh, with only a four fight main card headlined by Jeremy Stevens and the Korean Superboy. You've also got everyone's favorite dad bod fighting Uriah Hall and the next episode of the PVZ experiment. I have to say, boys, my fancy is tickled. What say you? You know, normally I am into the Sunday fight card that they do right after one of the NFL playoff games. 
This year, a little less into it. You know why? Why? This one happens to fall on my daughter's birthday. Oh, okay. And For personal reasons. If you want to go ahead and make your wife kind of mad, start off by explaining that you might have to duck out of the birthday party early so you can catch Jeremy Stevens versus the Korean Superboy. You could miss Not this even one, that one. Right? For family reasons? Couldn't you like, schedule the night off? You don't know how anything works, do you? You just... Like an ignorant child over there. I yeah. I, I mean, I from the outside looking in, I would think Sunday night UFC Jeremy Stevens versus uh, Duho Choi. This seems like one that uh, maybe the plebes over there at MMA Junkie could handle. You know, and this is not. It's not even that I'm going to be like ducking out early on the party for that one. They'll be asleep by the time that fight goes off. What I'm looking at is basically like, oh hey, like enjoy your cake. Uh, Danielle Taylor and JJ Aldridge going to fight. See you later. Happy birthday. Now, why the hell would you need to watch that? Just, can you explain it to me? For the, for, I, for the, employment purposes. If, why? I, write, I sit there Let's, and I write recaps of them. They can't find anyone Thanks. else to do that. They got to have the top guy hey, over there. I'll tell you what. I'll give you Dan Stupp's email address. You can talk to him about this. I would just think for your daughter's birthday party. Yeah. You would think. Call your union rep, my man. But normally, I do like this, the Sunday night thing. And I do like, you know, hey, anytime you tell me, FS1 fight card, and a part of me goes, oh, no, I know what that's like. But then you say four-fight main card. I go, yay, all right, I can work on a four-fight main card. And this one, you know, for what kind of offering it is, there's some fun stuff on there, even if, like, none of it is exactly, like, immediately title picture relevant. Yeah, I mean, like, as if you think Sunday night FS1 card, I feel like you look at this thing, you might be pleasantly surprised because you do get a lot of uh, – Known commodities on here. I mean, Darren Elkins versus Michael Johnson as the uh, featured prelim before the the actual event kicks off is is pretty solid for this kind of thing. Uh, and then you got a main event in Jeremy Stevens versus Duho Choi, uh, which is is going to be probably pretty exciting considering the two gentlemen that you got in there. Does it feel to you, Ben, like this is kind of like the UFC is basically calling a do over on Duho Choi because they tried to do. They tried to get him over against Cub Swanson, and they had a great fight, but he didn't win it. So now they're throwing him in there with Jeremy Stevens, another guy that he may well have a, a good fight against, but maybe a guy that is viewed as being slightly more beatable than Cubby Sampson. Yeah, that could be. Also, though, have you heard, like, Duho Choi is out here talking about how he wants to try to get a title shot in before he has to do his mandatory military service in yeah. South Korea? Yes. I don't know that I totally follow the logic. Yeah. But, uh, don't tell people that. If you're trying to get the UFC to give you a title shot, don't tell them that you have an impending, like, long absence coming up. Because that is, like, the opposite of what will convince them to give you a title shot. You can just act like it just came up. Like, oh, oh yeah. hey, uh, I forgot I a, to mention this. Yeah. I had the, I got the letter and I just forgot to open it. And thought I thought it was going to fall through. Yeah. I thought, yeah, thought maybe we we're going to all work this whole thing out. But no, mandatory military service. Yep, going to have to do that. Anywho. What exactly are we doing here with Uriah Hall versus Vitor Belfort? Is this just a uh, a matchup of styles? Are we trying to send Vitor Belfort out on a win? Like, I, I, In terms of like trying to close out the long and strange career of Vitor Belfort, I, it feels to me like we have officially entered a period where I'm like, I, I just don't even understand what's happening now. Have, have we not given up on the idea that uh, it's going to end that easily for Vitor Belfort? I thought there was some hope of that where he was kind of talking about, like, here's how he wanted maybe to finish out his career. But then it seemed like he kind of quickly abandoned that idea. It doesn't – come on. You know he's going to fight until he's absolutely dragged away from this sport. Doesn't that seem obvious by now? 
Well, you get that decision win against Nate Marquardt back there in June. All of a sudden, Nate Marquardt, who himself just retired, yeah, you're you're uh, you're high in the sky again. You're walking on clouds after that one. Maybe the fight against Uriah Hall is meant to be like, hey, the time of us matching you up against other old guys could be at an end here. You might, if you're going to hang around now, you might have to party just like everybody else, and you might not like it so much. Maybe that's the the signal here. Overall, I'm going to agree with uh, Rusty from Atlanta. I think you got a good card here. I think that having it on Sunday night uh, will be a uh, a nice little change. At least give you a free Saturday if you're not uh, if you're not otherwise uh, spoken for with the uh, with your various NFL conference championship games. So, well, here's a, why can't you have your daughter's birthday party on Saturday? Her birthday, her actual birthday, is on Sunday. Okay, I feel like I'm throwing out a lot of good ideas here, and they're mostly just uh, mostly falling on deaf ears. Listen, man, I don't know what you want me to tell you. I'm not making a whole lot of decisions in either regard here. I'm just kind of going along. I'm showing up where people tell me they need to show up. Or not showing up, as the case may be. Next question this week comes to us from Doug Smythe. Smith with a Y. Smythe. Okay. But you might want to Google that guy. Yeah, that, that sounds kind of European soccer-ish. He writes, guys, I suspect this weekend's fight between Kamaru Usman and Emil Meek might steal the show. Also, did you know Emil Meek's middle name is Weber or Weber? True story. So Doug Smythe clearly listening to the show and understanding the co-main event podcast's great and true love for the middle name of fighters. I think you got a a real slugfest on your hands here, don't you, Ben? You got Kamaru Usman, who's been... uh, uh, complaining for a while about not not being able to to get the promotional love that he feels like he deserves, not able to get the uh, top shelf recognizable opponents that he feels like he deserves. Now is going to get uh, Emil Meek and the curtain jerker at this fight night event. Emil Meek's Wikipedia picture, by the way, yeah, some we... good stuff going on there. Looking like he just stepped Whoa. out of a photo shoot. Whoa, yeah, for uh, Norway's next top model. <laughs> <laughs> Which I would watch, by the way. That sounds like an awesome show. Yeah, he's riding a four-fight win streak. He's he and he and Kamaru Usman. Kamaru Usman's the guy who just almost won knockout of the year when he when he rolled over Sergio Moraes, right? Yeah, back in September. He's he's won uh, ten fights in a row. So we're going to uh, putting it all on the line. Someone's always got to go. Yeah, and, and this seems like it has the potential to be you know a really fun fight just to watch. Uh, I also wonder with a fight like this, when you have a couple like uh, those pay-per-views coming up where it seems like, uh, you know, you might be missing the kind of mid-range fight, like where you have a couple good like main events or co-main event, and then it seems like you don't have a whole lot in the undercard. This seems like exactly the kind of fight I would have expected you to use like to bolster a pay-per-view main card. But I'm not going to complain about it being on free TV on FS1 because like this does seem like the potential to fly under the radar at first until, you know... I can see us going 10 minutes before this one's supposed to happen going, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, that's right. Somebody's going to get their damn head knocked off right. here. It's that classic UFC booking where you put a, uh, a surefire slugfest as your first fight on the uh, televised main card of a show. Gets everything started with a bang and, and everyone uh, feeling good nestling into their seats on Sunday night yeah. getting ready for a couple hours of fisticuffs. Ease right into that Paige Van Zant fight right after that. Next question this week comes to us from Ross in Ohio. So we had Rusty in Atlanta. Now we got Ross from Ohio checking in. Maybe they should meet. Meet halfway. Yeah. Tennessee? Maybe. Close? I don't know. Kentucky? I don't, I don't know. 
Uh, well, K- Kentucky is directly south of Ohio, so wow. probably sounds like a better deal for Ross. As I finished watching UFC 220, <laughs> the preview, uh, for about the 17th time, a thought came to my mind. Does the fact that Stipe, pause for Ben to say, Stipe, Stipe, balancing his life as a fighter with one as a first responder put him at any kind of disadvantage compared to Engano only have to focusing, focus his energy on violence, uh, training to get better at violence and taking and talking to people about the past, present, and future of his violence. Please discourse. This is an interesting question and obviously one that, uh, is tied up in a lot of different issues uh, about mixed martial arts right now. Uh, but Stipe Miocic clearly still working as a firefighter at home in Cleveland. Uh, meanwhile, Francis Ngannou is out there in Las Vegas with one of those, what I would have to assume would be sought after uh, invites, standing invites to train pretty much every day at the UFC Performance Institute, the brand new and sprawling uh, gym that the UFC built in Las Vegas as part of its new campus out there. Uh, ben, does this worry you at all if you were a Stipe Miocic uh, supporter that, that your guy is pulling double duty and, and Francis Ngannou is just a full-time fighter? You know, intellectually, I can see that case being pr- kind of easy to make. And yet, every time we've seen a situation like this in the past, it's never seemed to me like you could ever point to that and being like, well, the reason this guy didn't reach you know, a higher point was because of his job. Like I never – I can't recall an instance where that happened because I can recall a couple times where like it was like Shane Carwin who was like a, like a city water engineer or something and everybody would always get on his case too. Like, hey, when are you going to quit your job? All that stuff. And it didn't really seem like that was the thing that was stopping him from getting anywhere. It's the same thing with Chris Lytle uh, who was a firefighter. Like it just – I never really saw like the evidence that this guy would be better if he had more time to train, didn't have to worry about going to work at a job. And firefighter seems like, like we've seen in the past, like one of those jobs that you can actually do and still find enough time to train. How would we know, really? I mean, I guess someone would have I mean, to if tell you. show you, up unprepared, right? right? Yeah, I suppose. Uh, That's got to be what we're thinking about at this point. I mean, obviously, skill-wise, he can do it. Like, he's the goddamn champion. He's defended the belt twice. So it's not like we're like, hey, he if only he had enough time to work on his fighting skills, maybe Stipe Miocic would get somewhere. He already got somewhere. Clearly has those skills. I mean, I guess the only way is if, like, he showed up and he didn't look like he'd had enough time to train or enough time to focus on exactly what he had to do. And just so far, the evidence suggests not been a problem. Uh, and I would, I guess, in addition, point out, I believe Stipe Miocic uh, continues to hold his job as a firefighter by choice, right? He probably right. makes enough money that if he really wanted to, he could he could only be a, a full-time fighter. Uh, I would wager he probably makes more than Francis Ngannou at this point, since Francis Ngannou, uh, maybe up until this point, I think had been still fighting on his first UFC contract. Uh, but yeah, Stipe Miocic, seems to, that seems to be his passion. It seems to be a calling for him to continue to work as, as a firefighter. I think that he is uh, doing that by choice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think with Fra- going up against Francis Ngannou, I could see that you'd be a lot of X factors you'd want to take into account just to make sure that you, you don't get knocked into the land of wind and ghosts. But I don't know if that would be the thing where I think to myself, you know what, if only I didn't have this job, I could sit around dwelling more on all the things Francis Ngannou can do to a person. Next question this week comes to us from Mike O. He writes, so top prospect Mackenzie Dern will make her UFC debut at UFC 222. How much promotion will the UFC put behind her? And do you think she could be a contender? Will she continue the Damian Maya BJJ for MMA VHS series? Huh. 
Now there's a thought. I think in a lot of ways, she might stand a pretty good chance to sell a whole lot of those uh, VHS tapes. Uh, as far as like her ability like as a prospect, I mean, obviously she has great ground game. And I do think that if you're going to be a specialist, the women's division still offers more chances to make that work. I think that those days are kind of closing the same way that they did uh, in the men's game to some extent. Like you're going to run up against a certain point when it, it's going to be harder and harder to make that work. But I think especially right away in the UFC and the UFC seeing her potential as like a, a really promotable athlete. Yeah, I think that can definitely work. Yeah, no, obviously I think a lot of it depends on how they handle her. She's going to come into the UFC just 5-0 and as a professional uh, in mixed martial arts, though clearly has uh, the impressive Brazilian jiu-jitsu lineage and, and impressive accolades there. Uh, but again, it's kind of the same story that we tell in a couple of different weight classes that you have these hot prospects coming into divisions that aren't necessarily the deepest in the world. Like if you want to establish a new star, I think strawweight is not a terrible place to do it. Uh, you had Joanna, you had Jaychik, and just recently lost her title uh, in what some people say is the upset of the year against Rose Namajunas. Uh, so you've got a little bit of instability at the top. You you know, both Rose and Joanna are uh, promotable entities, but at the same time, neither one has has certainly become a crossover Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor-style star. So it wouldn't be a bad spot to, to prop someone like Mackenzie Dern up in that role if you can do it. I don't know. Uh, you know, the it's going to take some time, though, right? The more time that goes by, I don't know how much say we have in in that. You know, it's it's just sort of a lightning in a bottle type situation. Uh, and so with Mackenzie Dern, you have this interesting situation of a fighter who looks very promotable but is going to come into the UFC as a fairly green athlete. So you're going to have to balance this, uh, you know, your desire to have her be this big star with with her own journey as an athlete. You you can't. Uh, you know, rush her to the top, I feel like you will run into the problem that the UFC has run into with some of its other young stars uh, trying to give them too much too fast and they turn out to just not quite be ready for that. So an interesting balancing act, I think, uh, will be at foot for the UFC and Mackenzie Dern during 2018 and, and the year after as well. Yeah, also you're just going to have to see some quick development there as far as like a lot of her other skills because it, it's one thing to be able to go out there and submit people over and over again on, at LFA fights. But you get a, the division in the UFC is not so deep that you can hang around and develop near the bottom of it for too long. You're, if you're winning fights, you're pretty quickly going to find yourself in a position against some really like seasoned, well-rounded athletes, and then you better be ready for it. That's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says Email the Podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. Uh, the newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. If you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. I suppose at this point, Ben, the people could sign up for the Patreon while right. they're there. They can go to uh, patreon.com slash co-main event. There we are. Wow, that seems easy to find. Uh, we'll put a link up also at comainevent.com. No excuse, I guess, for not being able to find the link to give us free money. The only excuse perhaps being you just don't want to give us any. But why would you feel that way? Uh, see, I don't know. It's, they will have some explaining to do. It's baffling. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
So, Ben, as we start to record round one of this week's co-main event podcast, I went ahead and did a Google search uh, for Conor McGregor just to see what the top current headlines are for the UFC lightweight champion. Okay. The newest one, which was posted six hours ago from MMA Mania, the headline is video, Conor McGregor torches wannabe dragsters in Dublin street race. And the video is uh, some guys pull uh, you know, happy to see Conor McGregor out in traffic over there in Ireland, uh, kind of harassing him from vehicle to vehicle at a, at a red light. And then Conor McGregor gives them a thumbs up and just tears off in his sports car that he's driving, uh, you know, in kind of a, this is awesome. Glad to talk to you guys. Uh, I'm just, a, I'm going to go ahead and carry on about my business now, sort of a way. <laughs> like you do. Yeah. But when you think about this being the, the latest headline about Conor McGregor coming after uh, a couple of days after headlines about Conor McGregor squabbling on social media with uh, Showtime executive Steven Espinoza, who obviously he clashed with in the lead up to his boxing match with Floyd Mayweather. Uh, it opens a couple of lines of inquiry about what in God's name is going on with Conor McGregor right now. Uh, well, this seems pretty on brand, what you just described. With him racing away in his, in his, in yeah. his muscle car? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure if like the headline Conor McGregor flaunts ostentatious wealth is really a surprise at this point. No, it's not, but it's interesting that you would say on brand because still with nothing scheduled in the world of, of mixed martial arts and or boxing for Conor McGregor. Like I said in the introduction to the show, I feel like we are treading dangerously close to this line uh, where Conor McGregor may cross over from being a quote-unquote active professional athlete to being more of a brand. He's, he's, he's tweeting a lot about his, his whiskey. He's tweeting, uh, you know, shots of him in his track suits, cage side there at the, uh, at the Straight Blast Gym in Dublin. When does that whiskey come out, by the way? I have no idea. That's you're we're going to do a ta tasting. You're, you're the whiskey correspondent. You set it up. Okay. Uh, you know he's tweeting out videos of him drag racing on the streets of Dublin. It just seems like Conor McGregor, while admittedly very good at keeping his name in the headlines, is also uh, not so much about doing his work right now. Okay. Well, I give him a pass to a certain extent on that because. At least if it's true, as it seems to be, that your goal is getting a more favorable financial split from the UFC when you get in there to fight again because you're a bigger star now than you were the last time you signed a contract with them, then fine. I, I understand that. I mean, obviously, that can't go on forever before something has to happen. But if you tell me that you're going to spend the next three to five months dealing with the UFC and at least, you know, trying to convince the UFC that you mean it when you say you don't actually have to fight anymore if you don't want to. That might be a part of the negotiation. I understand that. I can understand like the thinking behind like, hey, they owe you more money uh, just for what you bring to them. Hey, I I'm okay with that. The things that I wonder about some, like for instance, this whole thing with Steven Espinoza. Can you explain to me what anybody's end goal is here? I mean, maybe Conor McGregor has the best, uh, like, potential outcome, which is just keeping his name in the news for something while he's not fighting. But this whole thing was basically started by Dana White, like, where he goes with this interview with Kevin Eoli and kind of goes off on this press release that Showtime issued last month, like, in December, saying, like, here were the North American sales and here was the, 
you know, what we project as the total global revenue of the fight. And it was really good. It just wasn't the best ever, but it was still really good. It was like 4.3 million uh, pay-per-view buys in North America. Really good. Not quite the best ever, but still really good. Over $600 million in global revenue. Again, really, really good. And you want to, like, pick a fight over this? I don't understand. Especially then when Steven Espinoza can come back at you, as he did on, like, a serious XM interview and say, yeah, we don't get to just make the numbers up because, like, we're a publicly traded company and we have to actually make sure that we're telling the truth when we issue stuff like this. Like, that means, like, lawyers have looked at it before we ever post a release like this. We're not just saying stuff because we can't just say stuff. Right. That's where I think the seasoned observer, especially one who is familiar with Dana White's personal habits, would look at those two sides and conclude, Stephen Espinoza probably more accurate on this one. But well, either yeah. way, what's the benefit of you picking this fight right now? Well, there, I don't know that there is a huge benefit to it, but like you make the, the, the obvious and necessary point here that as a publicly traded company, Showtime has a legal obligation to disclose uh, you know, it's actual numbers, it's actual, uh, earnings and, it, and it's actual pay-per-view buys. Dana White and the UFC is a privately held company under no such obligation. And then you get yourselves into what is just a classically Dana White spat, right? Where, uh, I'm just going to read his quote from Kevin Ioli where he says, uh, when, when we did the Mayweather fight, I watched and took it all in. I just think all these guys, the guys who are promoting boxing today, are bad at it, White said. I don't think they do a good job, and I think I could do better. It sounds arrogant, but it's the truth. I think I could do better, a better job than these guys do. You know, think about this, and I don't give a shit about Showtime's uh, fucking full of shit press release that they put out. It's the biggest fight ever in combat sports history. The thing did over 6.7 million buys, and if the service didn't drop, we would have got closer to 7 million. It was the biggest f event ever. It was the biggest boxing event ever without a boxer. It was only one boxer involved in the fight. So when you think about it, Dana White is mostly mad that Showtime contradicted his claims of how many pay-per-views this thing sold uh, with with what they're, they are legally obligated to put out, and that being the truth. And even if you read this quote, it is, again, a classically Dana White thing where, like, he doesn't have any facts or numbers to back up his point. It's just kind of all based on his feelings and his, uh, especially the part where you get into if the service didn't drop. Yeah, whose service, got, by the way? We would have got closer to seven. Whose service dropped? Yeah. Uh, so it, this seems like a kind of situation where I don't know that there's a winner in the whole thing. And it just, well, for Conor McGregor, it, it is yet another, as I said before, opportunity for him to just sort of keep his name in the headlights. Her headlines, but as the UFC is concerned, it just seems like another situation where uh, the guy in charge can't really help himself. Who does it sound like right there? If you were to think just another like public figure who we gets all talked know who about it sounds a lot, like. Ben, we know who it sounds like. The guy saying like, "Oh, these people who do this professionally, I think I could do a better job." And then the guy just kind of repeating it was the biggest ever. Period, regardless of whether he can actually prove that. Does it sound like any like anybody? Like we, maybe we we all know. We all know where what you're getting at here. Yeah, well, you know, and, and let's just say, obliquely, it's no. It seems like no coincidence that those two guys are bros, yeah. right? Increasingly, Cut from seems, the same cloth, seems more and more obvious why those guys are bros. And I guess I would understand it if you were saying we think Showtime is lying about the numbers and we want some kind of like audit to make sure that we got every penny or whatever that that you're owed. Um, 
but it doesn't seem like that's what he's saying. It seems like he's just wanting like to win like a kind of a public relations battle. And which I don't are you thinking that Showtime is down like purposely downplaying how many pay-per-views they sold just to what like hurt the UFC or like because they don't want to give like a, a UFC fighter uh his due credit so they want to like knock it back down a rung? It just seems like such a ridiculous argument to have. And for no good reason. But also, like, that quote about him saying, like, oh, I think I could do the boxing stuff better. I, mean, I wonder if that's the key to unlocking this whole riddle here, to understand why he would do this now. Is it just because he is really serious about wanting to get into the boxing business and then seeing them as a competitor and wanting to use this as an example? Like, here's an, here's them not doing a good job and how I would do it better. Not doing a good job by telling the truth. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, well, before we close out this round, how long do you think Conor McGregor can go on having his executive time before you become worried that, like, we have a problem here? Like, uh, I, I'm just going to guess that right now we are looking at summer as the earliest uh, potential point that Conor McGregor could get back in the octagon, which, frankly, to me, seems like an awful damn long time from now. Maybe this year we'll just jet by and we'll have, you know, Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz 3 or Conor McGregor versus... Uh, Tony Ferguson, Habib Nur- Nurmagomedov winner before we know it. But at the same time, like, how long can we keep just drag racing fans in the streets of Dublin before we're like, Connor, dude, you, you gotta do, you gotta either do something or not. I say if he fights in 2018, he's fine. At, at any point. At any point. Even if it's, uh, the end of the year, New Year's Eve extravaganza. Yes. But I will say this though. The longer you make us wait, the more legit the fight had better be. Like, if you make us wait till the end of the year, don't come back in here with Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz 3. It better be against whoever is holding that interim title or what, you know, whoever the consensus top lightweight is at that point. Whether it's Nurmi, whether it's Tony Ferguson, whoever, it's gotta be against one of those guys. Because the longer you make us wait, the, the more our patience kind of runs out for just the, hey, I'm jumping in there to just make money and fight whoever. Conor McGregor, no UFC appearances since November 2016, UFC 205. So it's already been 14 months, uh, another 11 months till the end of the year. So that would be an awful damn long time to wait. Uh, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, I will do my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Because it is Dana White related. We just talked about him a fair bit in this round. Again, like I said before, not to pull back the curtain too much here for people. But before we started recording this, I was looking around online for what I would use for my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? I didn't have a clear-cut winner. And then I saw in my Twitter feed the headline, Dana White addresses UFC's critics, comma, provides outlook for 2018. And uh-huh. I thought, aha, here, here we, we go. go. Yeah. So Brett Okamoto, ESPN MMA writer, obviously, has this interview with Dana White. Uh, I just want to read one quote here about how the uh, the UFC's business was in 2017 and how whether or not new owners, WME, IMG, Endeavor, are happy with what's going on. What Dana White says, I think the 2016 sale has everything to do with it. Everybody is looking at that $4 billion sale and asking, did they deliver? Now here's the part where we go full Dana White. Fuck yeah, we delivered. We deliver every <laughs> single year and still every year. If you listen to the media, we're fucked. He goes on to say that... uh they're spending another $1 million to build a new wing in the new UFC headquarters, and that Ari Emanuel, the uh, Endeavor CEO, wants to buy the building next door and, in Dana White's word, words, build more shit. Yeah, build more shit. That's the key. So I guess 
my are you fucking kidding me is delivered a, according to whom? Like, who are we asking about whether or not the UFC delivered? Are we asking the guy who owns it and is making a bunch of money? Or are we asking the consumer whether or not the UFC delivered during 2017? Ooh, ooh, I can answer that. What is it? Pick me. Yeah, I pick you. You're the only other person here. The money guys. Okay, we're asking them? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Jed, my are you fucking kidding me this week? You know, the the talk is already going to heat up a little bit for the Francis Ngannou-Stipe Miocic fight. Stipe, not a big talker, as we know, as we saw at that press conference a little bit. That's just not not his game. Ngannou, however... He's starting to feel it a little bit. Uh, a quote now, this is from a story on uh, MMA Junkie right now, where uh, in an interview, you know, he is asked about, you know, hey, uh, obviously Stipe is the champion for a reason. He replies, you say he's the champion for a reason. Yes, he's the champion for a reason. He's the champion because the real champ wasn't there. Now the real champ is on the way. And Miosic is not going to be the champion as long. Are you fucking kidding me? I've, I don't know, man. Either this is the hubris before the fall, or Francis Ngannou is just coming out here like there's just a fucking heavyweight superhero ready to bring the trash talk and the knockouts, kind of feeling it all, bringing it all into a full, well-rounded package right now. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm getting kidding goosebumps me? over this fight, Chad. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We will, or round number one, we will be right back with round number two. Chad, last week, the UFC vice president of athlete helps and performance and something with the drugs. Jeff vice Nowitzki, athlete health and performance, also known to Phil Baroni as the bald Usada prick, even though he doesn't work for Usada. Jeff Nowitzki. Jeff Nowitzki. He goes on Joe Rogan's podcast and talks about the uh, John Jones situation. And to hear Jeff Nowitzki tell it, things are probably going to be fine here. It sounds like Jeff Nowitzki is very convinced. That John Jones did not knowingly cheat here. Right. He said this exact same thing before, but I've got the, uh, the quote here when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast on January 3rd. He says, this is about John Jones's latest, uh, drug test failure. It would not make a lot of sense for an individual, a UFC athlete, especially a championship contender like John Jones, who knew I'm tested quite regularly in this program. It would not make a lot of sense that that would be your drug of choice if you were trying to cheat, Novitsky said. I think it's come out after the fact that USADA did another test on John a month or two after this positive test, and he was negative. So that would be indicative that the prohibitive, the prohibited substance entered his system sometime after July 7th or 8th, and that was likely a pretty small amount that cleared his system pretty quickly. Now I have two questions for you about this. One, what do you make of Jeff Novitsky's argument here? Two, should he be out there as publicly and as vociferously as he is making that argument. Well, the first thing is that it see it, Je- what Jeff Nowitzki is saying here is that he doesn't think John Jones could be guilty because it would be dumb for John Jones to take Turinabal, uh right before he knew he was going to be drug tested uh, prior to his, his rematch with Daniel Cormier, to which I would respond, have you ever met John Jones? Yes. He has done numerous things that you might look at and say, well, that would be too dumb. A guy guy in his position simply would not do that. It's at least possible that he would have made a error in judgment is what you're saying. Secondly, like, uh, you know, some of the, the points that he brings up about, 
the, the amount of Turinabal in his system and they tested him again and that he was clean. Um, you know, fair play to USADA for that, like all that stuff. There may be something valid there. But the overall question about whether or not the UFC, like the guy who runs the UFC drug testing program should be coming out and and editorializing a little bit on whether or not he thinks that the most, the highest profile UFC fighter to get caught up uh, in, in multiple positive drug tests during this USADA era in the UFC, whether or not he thinks that they actually did it, seems problematic to me. Well, he doesn't run the drug testing program, though, right? I mean, USADA runs it, and as he described his role here as more of, like, an athlete advocate, and even described his role as, like, the guy who deals with USADA on some of the stuff, the guy who, like, the fighters can come to, and he can help advise them, and then he will also, it seems, from his own descriptions, kind of push back against USADA in some of the stuff. And... I get it. Like, I can see why there would be a, a need for somebody in that position and to hear other fighters tell it he has, like, actually helped them in that role before. But it does create a certain, like, image of the UFC's position here. If you've got, like, a UFC executive out there before this thing has been decided, kind of making the case for John Jones, especially because we've seen other people, other fighters, try to make a case that they were you know, wrongly flagged or flagged for unintentional use. And he at least hasn't been nearly as public about the others as he is about John Jones. And so it's hard not to look at that and say, well, the UFC needs John Jones back because it needs somebody who like a star fighter who people care about. It doesn't want to see him punished regardless of whether he ought to be. And that's why they're making such a, a hard push here to get John Jones off with a, a light sentence. Yeah, and like Jeff Nowitzki, he doesn't run the USADA program, but he's he at the time he was brought into the UFC. Like clearly, it was because of his like drug testing expertise and his previous right. position. He, he, uh, so he and his far, reputation as a kind of incorruptible official. Right. As far as I know, he is. As far as I'm concerned, it seems like he is inexorably linked with the USADA program, even if he doesn't work for USADA, even if he doesn't run it. Well, I mean, so that's I, why he's the bald USADA prick. Yeah. I think it's weird for him to for a guy in his position to be out. Uh, you know, dispensing these opinions about John Jones. I guess we should say in his defense, it's not like he's just calling people up and saying this stuff to him. Like he's appearing on Joe Rogan's show. I assume Joe Rogan asks him a question about it and he answers it honestly. You know, uh, you, I think you got to give the guy a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, of a creed, you know, credo for, for, it's, it's, people ask him a question and he answered it honestly. Right, but why is he doing it on the Joe Rogan podcast right. to begin with? Yeah. To, to talk about this kind of and stuff. And again, like it's a situation where there doesn't seem to be any really clearly defined uh, like uh, barriers or like, you know, a code of conduct for UFC executives or anything like that. It's just kind of the Wild West out here. Joe Rogan calls you to go on the MMA show. You'd probably say yes. Well, yeah, I mean, but I'm sure they all talked about it and the pros and cons of doing that. I also, you know... In a statement that I was reading this thing, Jordan Breen wrote a good uh, column about this right afterwards, kind of just talking about like, hey, what exactly are we trying to do here? Uh, and one of the things he mentioned was the kind of this the last dust up that there was when uh, they, he did an interview, I think, with MMA Fighting, uh, where he had kind of talked about some of this stuff and, and it came off in a way that maybe it sounded like he was really working on John Jones's behalf there. And one of the quotes that came out, that I think, where he was trying to kind of correct the record after that uh, was that he says, I indicated that John's camp, the UFC and USADA were all working hard together 
uh, hard and together to determine the source of the prohibited substance in John's system. Doesn't seem like that's what a lot of this is going to come down to. Because if you tell me, like, hey, it wouldn't make sense for him to take this uh, at this point and the amount of it, everything, like, it just doesn't add up uh, to what you would expect to see from knowing willful cheating, then you, it does seem like you have to come up with an alternative explanation, right? Like, to be able to say, here's what it was from, here's how we think this happened. Because it seems like a kind of weak argument to make to be able to say, like, hey... This wasn't knowing cheating, but we don't know what it was. As at least with the sex pill thing, you could say sex pill, counterfeit sex pill. Uh, and at least with some of these other stuff, they were able to say, here was the, the supplement I took. USADA goes and gets an unopened container of the same supplement. They find it in there. I mean, that I think is like a, a good way of doing this and to figure out like when you're getting some of these false positives where people don't deserve the full weight of that punishment. If you can't do that here, especially given John Jones's history, is that when the, you know, willing to suspend some disbelief and, and willing to take some of these arguments on face value, is that when some of that starts to collapse for you? Yeah, I think I said in the wake of the first John Jones tainted supplement defense that that was fine if that's the way he wanted to go. But I didn't like I didn't think that any other fighter was ever going to be able to use a tainted supplement defense in the wake of that because we had already had a situation you know, involving this high profile guy, John Jones, uh, where if it was going to, he was going to pay this enormous penalty, uh, just in terms of how much time he was going to have to miss from his MMA career, because he, he took a supplement without having it checked out first. Like we should all know at that point, get your shit tested by USADA before you start taking it. And if we do that again with John Jones, this time to me, it makes me feel a lot less trusting of the system because we have this umbrella situation where the UFC is basically running its own drug pro, you know, program anyway. Uh, it, it brings in USADA to do it. And maybe this is sort of like an unavoidable relationship, but it all, it all basically happens in house. And so there is a certain amount of, of uh, transparency that you, that you lose when that's the situation. And I think by and large up to this point, the program has been pretty good just in terms of appearing to be on the up and up. But now you have John Jones, who's obviously super important to the UFC's business model moving forward. You don't want that dude to get suspended four years for his, his second positive drug test. So if we come up with another, some would say convenient excuse like, Oh, John Jones just happens to be the unluckiest dude in the world to get a hold of another tainted supplement. Uh, I don't know, man, like that's, that's going to be, that's going to push the suspension of disbelief pretty far on its own. Yeah. Well, and I think that there is a willingness to buy this argument because I think people, for one thing, don't want to see John Jones out of action and they don't want to believe that he was cheating because it does seem like John Jones, while he's going to make a lot of reckless mistakes, it does seem like harder to believe that he would make this type of mistake, like the actual cheating type of mistake because He's been so good and it doesn't ever, you know, it, it seems like that's not the kind of way he usually screws up. Uh, the way he'll screw up is just by like a friend gives him a pill and he pops it to have a good time and not really thinking about what's in it. And it seems like it's, everything about his MO does not suggest like a devious strategic plan to cheat. It suggests more just screwing up. But if you can't, explain to us exactly how the screw-up happened, and it's the second time this sort of same screw-up has happened, at a certain point, I think you just lose the will of people to, like, they want to believe you now, but you got to give them something. 
Otherwise, it won't matter. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to have to figure it out pretty quickly here. We're going to find out what happens to John Jones uh, sometime during the early part of this year, I would guess. Well, he's also going to have to deal with the California Commission. It's not just USADA in this right. case. The California Commission, they're pretty serious about their shit. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with Master Tweet Theater. Sir Nigel Longstock is here. It's been a while since we played that game. Uh, we're excited to have him in. So that starts right now. that time again we welcome back to the show friend of the podcast and noted theatricalist sir nigel longstock Sir nigel how are you good day to you sir i am thawing rapidly yeah i noticed that you look a little pale you doing okay well yes i should be in a bowl of ice water but room temperature is probably fine yeah i'm sure it'll be okay okay so you brought us i assume some kind of tenuous theme I did, sir. The theme is tenuous as ever, but I believe the thread holds. It's rich inner lives. <laughs> okay. Well, rich inner lives as told on Twitter is kind of it's kind of the theme of the whole operation there, isn't it? How how will anybody on MMA Twitter prove that they have a rich inner life? I can think of almost no one. And then and including present company. Well, sir, the answer to your question is accidentally. <laughs> they will accidentally demonstrate a glimpse into what goes on inside the minds of certain MMA figures. And if history is any judge, we'll also end up completely abandoning that theme at least twice throughout this. Indeed, sir. A Master Tweet Theater cannot be constrained by ideas like coherency. Yeah. No, cannot be expected to deliver what it promises. Uh, so, whenever you're ready. Yes, let us begin. This episode of Master Tweet Theater is brought to you by Gorilla Explode, the powerful nutritional supplement that is not 100% guaranteed to contain no drostanolone. Are you struggling with low energy, increased workout recovery time, or underdeveloped forehead? Are you tired of supplements that contain only organic protein and natural vitamins, just like their labels promise? Try Gorilla Explode, the supplement that is no more than 75% guaranteed to be free of performance-enhancing drugs. After you drink three or at most five of our delicious shakes, you'll see huge gains in your energy, muscle density, and ability to put your hand through a car window because you thought someone inside was looking at you. The secret is pure acai or whey protein or whatever, plus untested impurities from our processing plant in Oaxaca, Mexico, that may or may not have accidentally gotten in there somehow. Gorilla Explode! As far as you know, it's egg whites or something. <laughs> Just so I understand, it's not guaranteed to not be free of Drostan alone? That's correct, sir. Not 100% guaranteed to be completely free of Drostan alone. Okay. All right. Indeed. I've been looking for this supplement for a long time. Yeah, I didn't know I was until right now. I tried asking around the gym, but they told me to leave. <laughs> Maybe you should buy a membership first. Indeed. Tweet the first. Let's remember the theme is rich inner lives. Yes, no, we haven't forgotten. Let that shape your guessing. Tweet the first. Let's be honest. Where I grow up, a man does not ejaculate with someone else's penis. Laugh, cry emoji, laugh, cry emoji, laugh, cry emoji. Don't argue. From where I'm standing, I see a monkey. 
Wait, what? Huh? What? What indeed, sir? Would you like to hear it again? You know what? I can't say no. Indeed. You know, I've been dreaming of dramatizing the laugh cry emoji, but I have restrained myself. You know what? Maybe the second time. time around is the time you give that a try. Let's do it. Let's be honest. Where I grow up, a man does not ejaculate with someone else's penis. <laughs> Don't argue. From where I'm standing, I see a monkey. Wow. I have no idea who that could be. I'm just going to say poet Philip Baroni. Who we all know has a rich inner life. I guess I'm going to say Vanderlei Silva? Too coherent. Both fine guesses, both incredibly rich in her lives, and both wrong. It is Henzo Gracie. Wow. Indeed, sir. I assume that that is a Brazilian expression. You know, like sort of like what you eat, don't make me poop, if you will. Oh, okay. All right. Man, if that's the case... The Brazilians always take existing expressions and just just kick them up an extra notch, don't they? Everything is that much more real as soon as yeah, you get to Brazil. I, I love it. I never get tired of Brazilian expressions. Mm. Tweet the second. Safety is a fence, and fences are for sheep. Oh, man. I kind of wish I hadn't just guessed, Poet Philip Maroney. You know what? I'm going to say John Fitch. That's an interesting guess. Not a lot of John Fitch appearances in Master Tweet Theater. He loves uh, to tell people about their sheep and whatnot. Oh, does he? Yeah. Okay. Pat Militich. Also a good guess. Another along the same lines, too. Both fine guesses, both likely to tweet about livestock safety, and both wrong. It is Max Holloway. Blessed MMA. Man, if Max Holloway starts to become a master tweet theater regular, I could probably get into that. Also, fences are not just for... Fences have many valuable uses. That's true. Fences are for human beings, sir. And this illustrates his rich inner life? Indeed. Indeed, sir. This is just an insight from Max Holloway. He's sick of fences and, to a lesser extent, safety. Okay. Tweet the third. Yo, I want to get a Winnebago that you can just drive into the water like a yacht. Drive around the country sparring people and drinking Mai Tais on the ocean, lighting up under the stars with my girl. I got this one. Can I guess first? Yeah. I'm going to go with um, Platinum Mike Perry. You are correct. Is it is right? Platinum it Mike is. Perry. Y- you, know, you know what sold it to me at the end was the reference to his girl. Okay. Because they're like a social media team. Yeah, they're quite a couple. <laughs> I believe, I hope that Mike Perry's girl composed this tweet. But I want to thank the literally dozens of Master Tweet Theater <laughs> friends who sent it to me via Twitter. I'm not going to miss this one, you guys. You know, you know what I really love about this one is the idea of how he wants to – he wants – to drive a Winnebago into the water like a yacht, which makes me wonder, like, what his concept of a yacht is. <laughs> Does he see yachts or hear yachts more likely and just think Winnebago of the sea? Maybe he just correctly thinks he's not licensed to drive a yacht, but a Winnebago <laughs> is probably cool. Also, you could probably just get the Winnebago and drive around sparring people. Yeah, but you couldn't drive it into the water. I mean, that is true. Probably also for the best. I'm sick of getting out of my car and walking all the way to my boat before I set sail. <laughs> I just want to crash my car directly into the sea. Mm. Tweet the fourth. This is uh, quoting an announcement for a Tuesday night comedy show at the Dime in Los Angeles. Okay. Hashtag Los Angeles. Come laugh with me at the Dime LA. Wait, that's it? That's it. Who would do stand-up comedy? 
in Los Angeles? I think the answer will surprise you. Well, the quick answer would be Joe Rogan, but that doesn't seem like enough of a twist here, does it? No, and I don't know that Joe Rogan would tweet, come laugh with me. <laughs> it's true. It'd be something about power and whatnot. Um, who's an unlikely candidate to do stand-up? Almost everyone. Jessica I. Hmm. No, that that actually is super unlikely. Uh, let's see here. Los Angeles, California. I'm going to go with uh, Brian Ortega. Huh. Okay. Laugh City Brian Ortega. <laughs> both fine guesses, both incredibly unlikely to perform stand-up comedy, but both wrong. It is Tyron Woodley. Okay. That is – that's very unlikely. Did we get a follow-up? Did people go laugh with him? I, it's Tuesday night, so I believe it's tomorrow night. This tweet oh. is from today. So we could still get some people out there to give us a report. Yeah, there's still time to pay your two-drink minimum and see the comedy stylings of Tyron Woodley. Is he actually doing stand-up, or is he just like going and wants us to also go and share some laughs? I th- that is a good question. The ad I saw had him on the bill. Wow. Tyron Woodley. Yeah, just well, gonna... we must have some listeners in the greater Los Angeles area who can go and check this out. Go laugh <laughs> with him, people, and then tell us all about it. I assume that Tyron Woodley will move into ethnic humor within the first two minutes. Oh, you do you think maybe it's like how a contrast, perhaps, of how white people drive? Do mm. you think maybe that's where we're going? I have noticed some differences. I'm saying it's all political. It's all political stuff. Hmm. Interesting. Tweet the fifth. This is... Replying to a tweet promoting a YouTube video from BJPen.com. It's Wednesday and you're showing up with my dick and a gift card. Did you say... Uh, <clears throat> okay. Are you saying dick and a gift card? Dick and a gift card. Okay. Not dick in a gift card. No, that was an elocution problem. I apologize. <laughs> is is this related to the Henzo Gracie tweet from earlier or it is not nor does it seem to be related to the youtube video which is a ufc promotional video for ufc 220 you're showing up with my dick and a gift card yes and it's wednesday it's wednesday and you are showing up with my dick and a gift card whereas normally that's clearly monday behavior indeed or friday who could say man i'm gonna again go poet philip brony because we're at the end of the line here yeah, I guess I could say Philip Baroni as well, although I just want to point out, it's Wednesday and you're showing up with my dick and a gift card also sounds like a Brazilian saying. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess I'm going to go Philip Baroni, although I kind of want to say Vanderlei Silva. It is the poet Philip Baroni. His words, <laughs> however inscrutable, ring through the ages. What are we talking about? I don't know. Perhaps he intended to reply to another tweet. If you told me Phil Baroni has multiple Twitter tabs that's, open. So that is the least of my concerns here, is that it's not relevant enough to the tweet he's replying to. Is How are you showing up with my dick, anyway? So, I good question. Perhaps you... Perhaps you borrowed my dick and not returning it until the middle of the week, which is frankly insulting. And then, but I got the gift card as a way to say sorry. Sorry, I had your dick so long. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> here's, here's twenty dollars at Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> that could be based on the replies to this tweet. It may be a movie reference. There were a lot of people talking about a person named Uncle Joe. Well. This is this should be a, a spin-off podcast where we try to figure out movies we haven't seen just based on based on Phil Baroni tweets. Half garbled references. 
Well, I guess that about does it. Uh, what else you got going on, Sir Nigel? You know, it's funny you should ask, sir. I've just finished work on an exciting project about a young woman who struggles to normalize her fraught relationship with her mother, even as she produces a stage adaptation of the short stories of Raymond Carver. I see. And what's it called? It's called Lady Birdman. And what role do you play? I play her gay best friend, who is also in love with her. <laughs> of course. Well, that was Sir Nigel Longstock. He's showing up with your dick and a gift card. And that was Master Tweet Theater. Thank you, sir. Well, Ben, the time is nearly nigh for the Bellator Heavyweight Championship Grand Prix Tournament to begin. Nearly nigh, huh? The time is nigh for the Bellator Heavyweight Championship title Grand Prix to begin. Woo! January 20th is the date that we kick this off. Bellator 192, the same night as UFC 220, by the way. So there's a lot of stuff that I think we should talk about heading into this event. For today's purposes, let's just start off with Quinton Jackson versus Chael Sonnen, which is the... Uh, the opening bout of the heavyweight Grand Prix, the only heavyweight Grand Prix fight on this card, which, as we said, is headlined by the welterweight title fight between Douglas Lima and Rory McDonald. Uh, have you watched any of the promotional video that Bellator is producing leading up to this thing to promote Rampage versus Chael? I have not. It's good, which I think is sort of a calling card of what Bellator is doing right now. All of their... Uh, you know, pre-packaged, pre-recorded video stuff is all really good. And this newest one is basically Chael and Rampage in Los Angeles for a uh, media tour, like a one-day mini media tour, where they are together a lot doing radio stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, as you might expect, there's not a huge rivalry here. Rampage and Chael seem to be going about this uh, like a couple of elder statesmen who are, you know, just going to get out there and have a professional prize fight, uh, sort of free of, of any current animosity. Uh, but they're having some fun. They're doing stuff. Rampage is, has offered to pay Chael Sonnen $10,000 for every takedown that he lands, which uh, if you want to talk about the feasibility of getting that money, I think that that's a, <laughs> a, a valid conversation to have. But they're at least trying to do you know some stuff to promote this fight. My favorite part in the, uh, the promotional video is that in, on separate occasions, both Quinn and Chael talk about how hard they're training, uh, but also that since they're fighting at heavyweight, that they don't have to do much of a weight cut, obviously. And then uh, Rampage eats a buttery roll at his dinner, and Chael tears into uh, some In-N-Out burger while, nice. they're, while they're on camera. So Very nice. This seems to be like the perfect setup for both these guys. Well, and also, let us not lose sight of the fact that the Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix is kicking off with former UFC middleweight title contender Chael Sonnen taking on former light heavyweight champion Rampage Jackson. Just just to let you know where we're at here with this heavyweight Grand Prix. Yeah, you got at least four guys. Half of the competitors in the Grand Prix are uh, pretty obviously not heavyweights in Quentin Jackson, Chael Sonnen, Muhammad Lawal, and Ryan Bader. This one, though, this is a particularly intriguing way to start the thing because there are so many questions, so many ways you're not sure exactly how that's going to go. Because for one thing, as we've seen in the past, you tell Rampage that it's a heavyweight fight, Oh, man. just You, you kind of guarantee what kind of shape he's going to show up in, and that shape will be circular. 
Like, it seemed, remember before the, the Mola Wall fight, as if his coaches had lied to him about what the weight class was because they knew the last thing you want to do is tell Rampage that he could weigh as much as 265 pounds. They seemed to have made him believe it was a catchweight fight just so he would not go crazy at the dinner table, uh, as he is known to do, especially later in his career. And then you got Chael Sonnen, who is going to go out there and obviously try to put Rampage on his back over and over and over again. That's kind of the clear path to victory for Chael Sonnen. It worked against Vanderlei Silva, who was, you know, smaller, and his power wasn't quite as much of a threat anymore. And even then, there were moments where it looked like, uh-oh, one good shot could be all it takes and uh, Chael Sonnen could be looking up at the lights. And so you go up against Rampage Jackson, who obviously he knows that's what he's about these days. Didn't even want to fight a wrestler because he, he just wants to go out there and, and throw them bungalows. But in this one, you could you could tell me that Chael takes Rampage down for 13 and a half minutes, and then Rampage lands one punch and wins it by knockout. Any, any of one of those scenarios is kind of plausible. Yeah, if you were trying to get either of your fairly promotable non-heavyweights victories in this bracket, like this is the matchup to make, right? Because you could see either Quentin Jackson or Chael Sonnen emerging from this thing. And while Chael Sonnen's previous Bellator appearances have not necessarily blown our hair back, and I would not necessarily say it seemed like Chael showed up ready to go three hard five-minute rounds, like, we can reasonably be assured that he will show up in some semblance of shape, perhaps arguably better shape than we can expect Rampage Jackson to show up with. And if you told me that, like, yeah, man, if Chael Sonnen just wrestled Quentin Jackson for 15 minutes and won this thing, I would believe it. At the same time, like you said, Rampage Jackson could possibly knock out numerous dudes in this tournament. Uh, it's just a question of whether or not he'll be able to do that. One interesting thing about this matchup, Ben, is that the winner, as long as this bracket that I'm looking at holds up, as long as we don't shuffle, reshuffle the cards. Entirely possible. After the first round. Just replace half the winners with alternates. The winner of this thing will be scheduled to take on the winner of Frank Mir versus Fedor Emelianenko. So, like, you could get a second round heavyweight Grand Prix matchup that is Frank Mir against Chael Sonnen. Or you could get a second round matchup that is Rampage Jackson versus Fedor. But at least that makes a little bit more sense weight-wise, right? Like, Fedor and, and Q-Jack could be subject to show up weighing the exact same amount. Oh, Q-Jack going to outweigh Fedor. <laughs> Frank Mir and Chael Sonnen is like a legitimate heavyweight. Remember when Frank Mir made some noise about going down to light heavyweight, and then he like tried it and was like, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Chael Sonnen, natural middleweight against maybe like a 245-pound Frank Mir. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a spelt Frank Mir, 245 pounds. Yeah, he gets into the powerlifting days like when he had to contend with those monsters like Shane Carwin and Brock Lesnar. Who knows? Could be cutting weight to make 265. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you don't put together a tournament like this if you're not prepared for shit to get crazy. And kicking off with this kind of weird matchup is like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's go ahead and let's, let's find out what you got here. I would be wondering if I'm Bellator, though, who... Like, if you're thinking about, hey, who would you rather see come out of this one? I would probably rather it be Chael, because not only is he going to produce a little more excitement prior to the bell, anyway, at least that's what he used to do when he had pay-per-views to sell. He doesn't seem as eager to do that uh, now that he's in Bellator, but he still can do that. He can still get out there and promote a fight for you and everything. Um with Rampage, I got to think you're always it's a it's a ticking time bomb until the next time he gets super pissed off about his contractual situation, which he does with absolutely every promoter he's ever worked for. And then what are you going to do? If you need him to continue competing in this tournament, 
seems like that's it's asking an awful lot of the fates, really. Yeah, I mean, at least with Chael, you can be reasonably assured that he's going to show up, right? As long as uh, he doesn't get met at the front door by a drug tester right. on, on his way. Uh, I would think that the big issue, though, Ben, like you look at this at this booking and, and it seems clear to me that like Bellator's first event of 2018, they were kind of like, what, what heavyweight Grand Prix matchup can we chef up to like try to improve our ratings ever slightly here? Uh, in in support of McDonald versus Lima, Quentin Jackson versus Chael Sonnen is about as promotable as you can get in terms of this draw. So what's the best outcome for the semifinals? I think you could have either one of these dudes, but I think you would really want to get Fedor into that second round, which obviously is not a, it's far from a given yeah. against Frank Mir. It might, it might be a fairly hefty upset, in fact, if the recent version of Fedor Emelianenko that we've seen beats Frank Mir and moves into the, into the second round. But like, if you could somehow get Rampage or Chael against Fedor, then you got, you've got a couple of winners in both rounds of this tournament. Yeah. You want to guess what the betting odds look like for Sonnen versus Q-Jack? I'm surprised sort of to hear that there are betting odds, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to bet that Chael is plus 125. Not too far off. I'm looking at plus 145 for Jail, minus 145 for Rampage Jackson. Yeah, that's that's about right, I guess. If you had 20 bucks you never want to see again, you're throwing it down on Chael Sonnen? Probably not. Uh, I, it's just so, this is such a weird matchup. Like, either either of these dudes could show up just looking done like dinner, right? One of those dudes is way more likely to do that. That's true. That's it's, true. It's the dude who is also really enthusiastic about dinner. Well, when you got buttery rolls, yeah. Right? No, hey, I mean buttery rolls and in and out. I'm I'm ready to go for both. Right. I think now. his exact quote is, "I'm going to cause a scene in this fine establishment if you don't hand me one of those buttery rolls." <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and I believe it too. That's the thing. All right, let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, what's your just saying stuff? I'm just saying we talked earlier about Conor McGregor. Here is a quote from his longtime coach, John Kavanaugh. He's still the champion. He's making the decision on what makes sense for the next move. It's kind of early days yet. We're just watching how that has developed while he's been away. He's had other things going on. Let's see what happens in 2018. I'm excited about it anyway. It's kind of early days yet, I guess, to get him talking about defending the UFC lightweight title. So this week, I'm just saying, Chad, do you know how long Frank Muir was out of action with that motorcycle accident before they stripped him of the UFC heavyweight title back in the day? Not off the top of my head. It's about 14 months. Okay, well, we're right there. Do you know how long Conor McGregor has been out of action and healthy? 14 months. About 14 months. Yep. I'm just saying. Ben, I'm just saying this week, did you see Anderson Silva's Instagram post assuring us, quote, you can be sure it's not over yet? that he will carry on uh, into the new year. Oh, good. Fighting in mixed martial arts. So I guess this week, I'm just saying, man, it has been over for a while now. Ooh. I'm just saying. Cold. Nice and cold. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week, obviously, to break down all the stuff that happens at UFC Fight Night in the Lou, And then we will look ahead to uh, our all-championship show, previewing UFC 20 and also Bella or 220. If we were previewing UFC 20, we would have done that some time ago. Yeah. We will preview UFC 220 and we will also look ahead to Bellator 192. So a lot of stuff going on as for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. So how many Patreons do you think we need to get a, like a decent microwave? 
I don't know what a microwave costs these days, but I would. Yeah, of you course, could, you would have no idea, would you? you? Could probably pick one up pretty cheap, right? It's not like we're talking about cutting edge technology. Here. You would think, right? You would think that most households would just have one. I mean, it's not that hard. We're also not talking about uh, real useful technology either, unless you want to get yourself a, uh, a half warmed up plate of leftovers, cold spots in the 